This is Busybody. I'm Wait. Kate Stubius. Here's my guest, Virginia Heffernan. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever said your last name out loud. Is that true? I was just thinking about that. You know how you like save your friend's last names in your phone? And oh, then you're yeah. like, do I ever say my friend's full names? No. <laughs> Or when the, fir- the first time they introduce themselves, they're right. just like, my name's Richard. And then later you learn that everyone calls them rich, but you <laughs> are still calling them by the impressive name they used in the beginning. Right. I, I have no idea how to pronounce my last name. So you did just as well as I would. <laughs> um, well, you are a journalist, a podcast host. Uh, how else would you describe yourself? Um, my book Magic and Loss came out um, a f- couple of years ago um, about the internet. Um, yeah. But yes, journalist, podcast host, author, I guess. Yeah, author, thinker, extremely <laughs> smart lady that I've known for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> You're my favorite, Cadence. I'm so glad to get to talk to you. Um, secretly, all of my podcast guests are just people that I want to hang out with. <laughs> I know it's just a good pretext. I, I think I feel like I pushed this to happen so that I could stare at you exactly. on Zoom. <laughs> exactly, but not um, have to do any Pilates. <laughs> exactly, another great we, requirement. We found the perfect vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just, just keep writing stuff that's relatable <laughs> to my brand, and then we'll just keep having the conversation <laughs> and push the exercise aside just for the connection. <laughs> Yeah, we're basically just kind of the conversations that we used to have in our sessions, uh, but now for other people to hear. Now for other people. Um, I think we just launched our own podcast. It sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I was saying that I am so thrilled that you wrote this most recent uh, piece on Ozempic because I haven't responded publicly to Ozempic because I've been kind of speechless with how horrifying it it is. And I just like kind of can't even articulate uh the 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 pit in my stomach um and then also i i um had just seen that whole awful goop moment where gwyneth paltrow was like i basically never eat and that's what my life is yeah (laughs) and then you wrote this piece and, and a big part of it was about this kind of um moralization of hunger and and uh the the end of the vitality and aliveness that that is us feeding ourselves Uh, and then there's so many points in here about moralization obviously that's that's just always what's around fatness of large bodies and um turning it into some kind of disease that can be cured Mm -hmm. um and i also listened to a slate podcast that came out last week by another with another author as a as a guest because in your piece you're responding to to somebody's writing and this woman was apparently a big food writer and she at first had some interesting points about like how do you talk as a feminist about weight loss which i do address in my own teaching um but then at the end was like oh zempic should be in our water basically because it's easier to be not fat (laughs) Mm. and i was like wow that's heartbreaking and (laughs) yeah rolling us back to the prehistoric times can you walk us through a little bit of these beautiful points that you make yeah where where like how did this start come up for you how did i mean when something like and something drops into the culture like a bomb it does become this great opportunity for late life you know continuing ed basically yeah (laughs) just like a whole audit of everything we believe and it's especially true with drugs so like 
in um in the 90s i was talking yeah right after prozac first appeared and other ssris to treat depression Mm -hmm. um and there were some ethical and whatever concerns by doctors and other people i talked to a psychiatrist the father of a friend of mine and he said of course i use prozac and zoloft in my treatment because what is more important than finding out what the patient wants from Mm -hmm. a drug that would lift their depression. Mm. It just as a therapeutic tool, just asking yourself, what would Zoloft do for me? You know, and when I was depressed, I would like look at the little eyes of the little blue pills and just think like, is something in them what I lack? Like I could just put this in me and all of a sudden my existential fears would lift. And, you know, I ended up taking SSRIs and I still do. And I still, um, you know, I never managed to pinpoint what exactly, how exactly they uh, made up for some lack, but I still, um, you know, in some ways, my therapy is meant to address that exact, like kind of, that kind of um, cosmic question. And Ozempic is apparently doing the same thing. I mean, person after person has written about it. You know, I say in the piece, it's almost like the Fermat's theorem of like a social phenomenon um, in that everyone seems to want to solve this, this question of this drug that has shown good results for treating or or improving blood sugar in adults with uh, type two diabetes. Not, you know, it's not a, a a great, perfect diabetes drug, but, but it's a good one. And um, and then it has this very, um, you know, extreme side effect that in any other culture, in any other time, you would think might be disqualifying for a drug. <laughs> it causes people to lose their appetites. And, you know, I don't think anyone says anymore, oh, don't ruin your appetite. But that was right. like something people said in our childhoods, right? right? Your appetite is something precious. You know, yeah. it's the thing that gets you out of bed. It's the thing that makes you want to take a bite out of life. And yeah. um, and uh, and you don't want to ruin that thing. And, you know, it was occurring to me, we bought a guinea pig during the pandemic and one, two, two of them. And one of them um, early on, lost her appetite and you know you're a a very good pet owner i'm new to it and so you know i rushed little maple to the to the vet and said what's going on and she was like oh she's lost her appetite and it was just it was so sad to think of a little little mammal who didn't want to eat and you know when my when my son was little he had trouble nursing and just seeing a little a little human a human who just doesn't want to eat and has no appetite it's just as like these are these are this is sort of we're in hospice once yeah. you start wanting to eat right exactly so exactly we're sort of the specter of death is in the air when this side effect of not wanting to eat appears so you'd be like oh well that, you know, it's a withdrawal from life. Literally, it's you a no with- longer want to take part in life if you're. That's right. It's a it, it's an absence of desire. It's an absence yeah. of hunger. It's an absence of the kind of things that you might otherwise cultivate, like the get out of bed desire to get out of bed. So, but Ozempic. So this side effect in Ozempic that it causes patients to lose their appetites is i mean as we all know in rich precincts of the us and europe and and other parts of the developed world um 
<laughs> the side effect of losing your appetite is a is a coveted side effect. Yeah. It's the it's a category killer. It's exactly what we all want because our appetites for food are considered a grave social liabilities of all things. I mean, how, how did we get to this place where all we all want is to lose our appetites for food, to find food, to find nourishment so nauseating that we can easily reject it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and also revel in our new ability to like browbeat our biology into food refusal, you know, which yeah. like we all try to do so hard, but now you have a drug that lets you like, you know, the self-abuse becomes easier to endure, right? Like you can, you'll, you can, uh, you know, starve yourself more easily and, and maybe even, you know, not quite die. And somewhere <laughs> on the way down there, look good enough that other people might like us more or at least hate us less. Yeah. So yeah. there's your Ozempic. Yeah. Um, it's, it's astonishing to me. I mean, I guess it shouldn't be. I feel naive that, that just more news outlets aren't like, because also I just feel like this is harming women more than anyone else because it always harms women more than anyone else. And while I'm sure there's plenty of very large men who are suffering with, with fat shaming and all these issues that happen in our culture, women have been shamed for not just eating, but the hunger for life forever, always trying to control our bodies, trying to control our vitality, our expression, our creativity, our loudness, our, our physicality. And, uh, food is often a place where women the world over, like kind of don't want to be seen as voracious. Mm. And I think like to have this drug, you know, to have it, have it put in the realm where, we, we also just live in a society that gives power to anyone, you know, in a white coat or, you know, it's something that makes me insane in my own mm -hmm. uh, field when people are like, oh, my physical therapist said that I have to do this stretch. And I'm like, literally the stretch that we've been doing for the past eight weeks, but because they have a doctor in front of them, <laughs> now you feel like it's working. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um and yeah. so now you can have a doctor tell you to take this drug, which is, is like a little patented pill that is all the shame and all. I mean, I'm remembering once I um, was flirting with this guy at a bar, we were like, I mean, picking each other up basically. <laughs> and <laughs> he was sitting there having drinks and I had specifically gone to this bar to get a burger and a beer. This was like a place uh, of state that I was like, Oh, it's like my burger my like Friday night, I'm going to go out on my own, have a, have a burger on my own. And before sure. we start chatting each other up, I had ordered my meal. Oh yeah. And he scoots down the bar. Eventually we start chatting. My meal comes. It's a huge plate with a big fat burger and all these fries, which I was planning. That was like, that's why I'm here. Right. <laughs> this isn't an accident. <laughs> I'm being like, well, I'm just going to be eating this burger right in front of your face. <laughs> yep. That's what's doing. That's what's happening. Um, you know, and, and yeah. I've had men say that's so sexy because they don't see women just eat fucking food and yes. like to have, and like, so this is so linked to this kind of vitality versus the woman who like, like covers her mouth when she laughs and like, you know, this, mm -hmm. the demureness and the, the control that we've been trying to free ourselves for, for uh, forever. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, it is, it's, it's hard to imagine, you know, that there's, you, that, that you mentioned the Gwyneth Paltrow account of what she eats and it's, you know, it's almost nothing. I think we probably could have guessed that she, you know, has a vanishingly small, uh, you know, food intake every day, just by the way she looks and comports herself and imagines purity. But it is hard to imagine that I can see how that has, if you're drawn to like a saint or someone, a hunger striker, if that's your sort of sexuality, is is that kind of emaciation and absence of desire? That might be one thing, but it is, I mean, there are like, there's some wonderful accounts I'm thinking of, I'm pretty sure in A Farewell to Arms, Hemingway has an account of like a woman's appetite, a woman's just like big, enormous appetite being what was great about her and just a desiring woman, libidinous woman, um, a woman who just like literally sinks her teeth into life. She's also more, you know, going outside more, you know, like has more energy. I mean, the amount of food that Gwyneth Paltrow eats and then, and then summons um, recruits, whatever, like s- small pittance of calories she has lying around for rigorous workouts. Like right. that's, that doesn't allow much room for life around it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of sleep involved. I mean, I'm sure you've had times where you're taking in too few calories and it's just, you're languorous, you you're bad. unhappy. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think, you know, I just did a nourish, um, nourish yourself program in January where for the first time I really tried to address food with people Mm. and what, what never gets addressed in all these articles, the assumption is you're overweight because you have this voracious unending appetite. You can Mm. never stop eating. You're, Mm. you're eating the hungry man's breakfast every morning. You're eating like a sheet cake every night. (laughs) Most people I find, um, you know, and I'm not talking about middle America that is, you know, starved for nutrient dense food. That's, you know, everything is fast food. Everything. I mean, I, I remember taking a workshop once in Ohio, the only grocery store nearby was at super Walmart. And I could not find bread there that didn't have sugar in it in this whole Walmart. And I no. searched everywhere yeah. in the bakery section, quote unquote, in mm-hmm. the bread aisle, I finally found some crackers that didn't have, and that's what I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on crackers the whole week. Wow. Um, because they're, I mean, and that was horrifying. So I'm not talking about the Midwest that has its own issues. The middle of the country has its own issues with just absence of, uh, living in, in the breadbasket of the, of our country with no actual food available. <laughs> um, but for the, the, the people that are living on the coast, the, the coastal elites, sorry, um, <laughs> that have the education to know not to eat fast food and are, are also often have the financial means to be you know, buying nice, good groceries and all these things. I find over and over again, it's not that people are, have this unending appetite. It's they're super stressed. Yeah. They're without community. Um, they're uh, not eating until two in the afternoon. They're drinking eight cups of coffee. Their bodies are all over the place. They're not exercising regularly to just give themselves like a regular kind of time for their, for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not eating on any kind of schedule and we're all mammals. You know, do you feed the, the, the gerbily things that, uh, twice a day or whatever? I don't know how you feed those things. Guinea <laughs> <laughs> pigs. The guinea yeah. pigs. Yeah. They get fed on a schedule of some kind, you know, goldfish get fed on a schedule. And I have clients who, 
are like, yeah, I, I eat when my kid finally takes a nap and I throw five almonds in my mouth and then I'm starving at four and I eat whatever is left in the fridge. And like, yeah. that is how people end up putting on weight that they're like, I don't know, I'm not eating that much. How, how am I like this now? That person doesn't need a freaking drug that makes them not hungry. They already yeah. don't even notice when they're hungry. They already ignore their hunger. Yeah, that's you right. Know? It's just asking for greater alienation from, exactly. from our bodies. You exactly. know, I, earlier, before writing about Ozempic, a couple of years ago, I wrote about um, speed and, um, and amphetamines and meth. And um, it's first first development of amphetamines was for use on the battlefield to kind of get uh, in, in the second world war to get um, soldiers to go out uh, into combat against their better judgment. Wow. You know, just like, yeah. And they got interested, you know, they liked it when they got home and they, they kept using it, but they also, they're, you know, where they had used it to override their desire to not do violence to other people their wives picked it up mm. and they liked the weight loss that came with it. So in other words, it helped them do violence to their own flesh. Mm. Um, and then it was turned into, you know, uh, they colored the speed pills so that they were like, looked like candy. They're pretty. Um, and the amphetamines and people start taking those. And now of course they're prescri- it's prescribed for attention deficit disorder. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that um, speed or ozempic is designed to <laughs> get us to table our commitment to being alive, yes, and sideline our own desires for life is really is incredibly sad. But I also want to add something to the mix, which is. Ozempic is for Ozempic when not used for diabetes is for weight loss only. And weight loss is it, it's not to help with heart problems or with um, joint problems or right. with anything that correlates sometimes loosely, but correlates with fatness. It's just a treatment of this state of being fat. So like, yes. it's just a, as though body mass itself, certain kinds of body mass is a pathology. And Gia Tolentino, whose piece in The New Yorker kind of inspired this piece, the one you're talking about on my Substack, argues that, you know, there's something progressive with Ozempic in the sense that it no longer treats fat, fatness, just the fact of being a certain size as, right. a, as a moral problem and now treats it as a physical one. It's interesting that that move is still considered progressive because the discourse right. is around sin and disease have always been about one and the same. Um, this is like Foucault's point in the birth of the clinic. Um, and you can think of this, that this happened with, um, this happened with, with gayness, with, with home, uh, with queerness, right. that, you know, at first it's this moral crime and then, oh, maybe it's more like a disease and we can just like get people into conversion therapy. So they'll get over it. I mean, these are ways of thinking about people, their identities, and the shapes of their bodies, just staring at them and thinking, well, I used to think they're a sinner, but now I just think they're a sicko. And I don't know how that's especially progressive, right? And now I can feel bad for them instead of hating them. I can feel bad for them instead of hating them. I can concern troll them of like, I'm just worried about your health, right? Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, to pre- pre- pretend that this represents progress over the other, you know, one model represents progress over the other ignores that both of them just say, being fat is bad. Fat is bad. Not a particular way of eating, not a particular way of exercising or not exercising, not whatever lifestyle choices that might, you know, smoking or drinking that might, um, might be bad for the health or an absence of social life or... Right. You know, there might be something like something to address lack of sunshine, you know, lack of variety in the activities of your day. This is just, I don't like the way you look and I'm going to call it a health problem. Yeah. And moreover, it's if we are trying to get rid of fat, we're also trying to get rid of fat people. Like fat right, people exactly. just have some, become a bummer and now we need to eradicate them. And it's just, this just, it seems to me like it's got some eugenics. It's got some population. Oh, for sure. Control. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about how, uh, yeah, there, so much of our original fat phobia comes from trying to separate white bodies from black bodies or brown bodies. And right. that's another level of control over, over a, a kind of wildness, a perceived sort of wildness and, and, uh, I think of women like Gwyneth Paltrow or that sort of body type that gets held up as, as what everyone is supposed to look like. It is the most waspy, the most, you know, it's not Italian. It's not Greek. It's not Jewish. It's not Polish. It's, it's like a real off the Mayflower, uh, appearance. Um, you know, the original colonizing type. Well, not the the original. Well, that's the beginning of Gia Tolentino's piece. And for some reason, the only, so-called dietitian who's ever cited in the in discussion of Ozempic right now is mm-hmm. this one who monitors like plastic surgery trends in I can't remember her name, but plastic surgery trends in celebrities who made this, you know, kind of observation that apparently was a revel, you know, like just caused people to like spasms of like excitement um, that the Kardashians no longer were embracing this like big butt, big thighs, Mm. you know, potentially uh, black identified uh, vibe. And now Mm. suddenly we're wanting to be emaciated and we're taking Ozempic to get that. And not only that, but dyeing their hair blonde and, you know, Gia, I think it's a lovely piece in many ways, but it also um, really reinforces, I think she said at some point, um, just these small things that I feel like we need to constantly press on the absurdity of this. But I think she says, Chloe Kardashian, of course, K-H-L-O-E, Chloe Kardashian, who has long struggled with her weight. And for this piece, I just started to think about that phrase, struggled with her weight. And, you know, it's like, we're so familiar with that, that expression struggle with her weight. So you have a person, all of us who are made up of cells and some of the clumps of cells have more mass than others. Right. So she looks at the amount of mass of her body and then decides that she is not her body. She's someone else who's struggling with that mass and that that rep- that mass represents a this versus that good versus evil and that this is an struggle that we are 
like meant to sort of invest in, like you would have a struggle with an enemy or a struggle with a disease, right? You're making me think of, you know, fighting against breast cancer or something. Struggle with depression, you know, after after a long struggle with alcoholism. All right. But what she's struggling with is this neutral thing, namely her weight. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and when she, um, you know, took pictures for her 40th birthday after taking Ozempic and using a lot of bleach, um, she's described as looking slim and blonde as Barbie. Now, she's not described as looking emaciated and ill-proportioned and plastic and expressionless like Barbie. She's right. now slim and blonde as Barbie, but also the struggling with your weight, which could have been, and I think a more compassionate and accurate way to talk about Chloe's experience of struggling with her weight is to say something like she's spoken in the past about her fixation on shrinking her body. Yeah. Because look. I mean, I think you and I have talked about this. We, so many of us get into this weird rut that, you know, has a lot of cultural approval. It's shared yeah. by a lot of women. That doesn't make it any weirder. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's weird, right? To say exactly. we fixate on shrinking our bodies. Like, yeah. I mean, if I said, if I, I was thinking, you know, Virginia, who's spoken in the past about struggling with her brown hair color. Right. right? Like, yes, I've bleached the shit out of my hair since I was 11 years old. I have definitely struggled against it. But to make brunetteness a disease, right? (laughs) Like, and why not? Maybe I would, I think I would talk about myself as like, I have an unnatural fixation on wanting to be blonde, right? And wanting to do artificial things to make myself look blonde. And I'm not content with the brunetteness to say that my brunetteness is a disease or now my grayness is a disease against which I valiantly struggle with a bottle of Clairol is just an absurd way of thinking about both health and very optional and potentially dangerous beauty practices. And I feel like the argument people would say is that but your hair color is not harming you and, and fatness is bad for our health. And I think what, what I try to put out there as much as I can, and there just does not seem to be enough in these articles is over and over again. Recently, we have had studies and things coming out that say fatness in itself inherently is not bad for anyone's health. It's just not. There's a Venn diagram of behaviors which sometimes cause fatness, which are bad for your health, smoking a lot, being really inactive, you know, consistently eating so much, whatever, because you're stressed out and you have a stressful job. Some people get super skinny living like that. Mm -hmm. Some people get fat. Those behaviors are not good for you. The fatness itself is just a, a possible side effect. Just like getting, staying up late can give you like the red eyes or something. I mean, that's it. And yeah, you know, there, are, I almost don't, I almost don't, I know your listeners who are on top of this realize that the idea that fat causes various diseases um, is, is just not how this works. The correlation is clearly different from causation. And yeah. then also all these surprising things that uh, the people who, who die the most are the thinnest part of the population. Sure overweight as the, I mean, all these phrases like have asterisks and, and, you know, quotation marks around them, but people above the like desired weight of, I don't know, some, something like a size six or four, right. um, live longer than people at size six or four. 
people at something like people at 14 live longer than people at four. It, it, uh, none of this is uh, like, none, none of this is gospel body size is not something that like to obsess on actuarial tables about. Right. Right. Um, and of course, like devising, you know, the only thing that seems to me clear about, uh, eating habits totally apart from body size is that binging is not ideal. Right. Like binging seems like dysregulated as does restricting. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but apart from that, th- none of this, <laughs> this doesn't have anything to do with this Ozempic thing. Ozempic is treating you know, a vanity thing. Like if people suddenly decided that having like noses like mine, like Russian, I mean, Irish peasant noses or like big noses with bumps as they've many times decided is bad. You don't break your nose and reshape it with a surgeon for $50,000 in order to uh, correct a health problem. Right. 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 Um, and, um, and so, you know, one thing I sort of said is like, I don't, I, I, if, if a person decides to take Ozempic to get really thin, I mean, I am fine with tattoos and piercings and right. there's all kinds of cool, weird body modifications you might do. You know, my, you know, my brother's a, a trainer and he's like very built up and big and it's like his kink, you know, yeah, just exactly. go for it. Right. I think it's kind of cool. Like spend so much time um, you know, mastering your body in these particular ways and your heart rate. And, you know, my husband's a distance runner, same thing, like just, you know, a lot of attention to keeping his resting heart rate low. You're an extraordinary athlete in the same way. Um, and if people want to do this, I think it's great. I just, the sneaky ways that the moral language then slides into the health language. And then, and, and that as if we've, as if right. we're not continuing to just stigmatize people in bigger bodies in the exact same way and then address the stigma that we put on them with an expensive and honestly dangerous drug right. for a treatment of um, of a non-health issue, body mass, has a lot of dangers, actual dangers, including nausea. People say that the the vomiting makes it feel like your skull is cracking. <laughs> it's extremely expensive. Yeah. It's, you know, a thousand dollars a month. We really are talking about like, you know, the kind of people that take a lot of days off work for like spa treatments and Botox. And yeah. like, this is really like sharpening the very tip of the pencil. Um, people who probably do like the vampire blood, they're just, they're <laughs> suffering a lot to be beautiful. That vampire blood facial yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's who we're talking about here, but I think like the psychiatrist wanting to use Prozac to figure out sort of who we are, what we want from, from pills. I think the other thing here is something you brought up in passing earlier, which is like, what about the, it's just easier to be fit. Ozempic should be in water because it's just easier. That is another argument that parents of parents in particular, but conservatives have used about their uh interracially married kids they're mm, gay kids mm. which is like look i don't judge mm. i don't judge this at all it's just going to be hard for you out there right? Right, right like if we're just opting to be better like if we're just opting to make things easier for you like easier to get promoted and easier to whatever why don't you become a white man let's just do that and keep and just while you're at it keep it straight and i have pills that will cause a lot of nausea and a lot and also by the way tall you know, right, right, another right. thing has like that I've just I've been reading all the discourse around being tall. Yeah. 
because um, when my son uh, was something like 13, he went to the pediatrician, a pedi- you know, a progressive pediatrician. And she said to him, she measured him and then just sized him up and said to him or in earnest, I think you're going to make it. And Ben was like, you think so? And she said, oh yeah, I think, God. I think you're really close. I think you actually might get, might, might, you know, get over it, be, be over it. And he was like, oh, so happy about that. The it was six feet, right? Wow. And wow. it was like, I mean, can you imagine a girl going to her doctor and having the person, having the doctor be like, I think you might be 115. Yeah. That's yeah. You're going to be yeah. your final weight. And we thank God, right? Yeah. So, you know, I put this up about height and boys and people said, well, you know, you do get more jobs when you're over six feet and, you know, you get a better salary, which is like, and we just accept that. Right. Like right. we just are supposed to lie back and be like, oh yeah, you're right. Life's so much easier when you weigh 115 pounds. So we definitely shouldn't change that at all. Oh, it also happens to be easier, you know, if you are have no disabilities and if you have no um, you know, and if you're beautiful according to conventional right. standards. So why don't we just introduce a whole slate of surgeries, skin lightening creams? conversion right. therapy for gay people in order to um, make us all mandatory like, braces for every child, mandatory braces and teeth whitening for every child, rather than even think about cultivating like the most baseline tolerance for different body shapes. How can that be so hard? Yeah. Um, and really all that said, if you decide to go on Ozempic tomorrow and have <laughs> a friend on it and you do lose a fuck ton of weight, you look a little weird, but you know, you're thin, um, then I, they, like no judgment. I don't, you know, change. I think it's kind of interesting to try to like experiment and being different sizes in your life. And like, you have one chance on earth. I a hundred percent agree with you. It's something we talked about in the nourish program, um, that it's just body modification. And I think like, if we could mm. discuss weight loss in that realm, I yeah. told people, I said, it's like a hobby and, if you want to change your body, you have to think of it like a hobby, like people who are super into piercings, like yes. it's a whole world, a whole culture they get into. There's a reason yes. there's a zillion influencers on, on social media who made their whole life, their body, because if you're going to really do it at like a, a, a more extreme level, it does become your whole life. Just like someone who like started quilting and now is like quilting all across the U S at every fair, yes. it becomes their whole world. Like, yes. And and uh, and really, and and this is why I think there's an obsession with this in our culture. I mean, there's so many reasons why why America in general does struggle with our bodies. Everything from just these like racist uh, beginnings of fat phobia to the fact yeah. that we don't have any kind of food culture, so we just people don't even know what to eat because you can right. eat anything you want. And other countries, like this is what you have for breakfast, this is what you have for lunch. It's not not this endless endless array. Yeah, but what disturbs me always is that we always talk about weight loss, like just on the scale. So people, it is what you just said. It's an obsession with shrinking the body as opposed to vitality, which for some people is building muscle, which also means you lose a little bit of body fat. You look toned, you look athletic, you look healthy, you look strong. Yeah. That is usually, that's what, when people say to me, I want to lose weight. Usually what I say is, do you think you might actually mean you just want to see some muscle tone? You want to feel good and strong in your body. You want to kind of see some athleticism and they're like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so we don't actually care what the scale says. Cause that's just shrinking your mass on planet earth, which is super weird. And I think, 
I think that's what Ozempic is putting out there. Again, it's just this idea of losing massive amounts of weight because you're literally not eating, which is like you said, hospice. That means you're losing muscle. That means you're losing bone density. That means you're literally like losing like kind of the, the depth to your organs. Like you're, you know, there's a lot happening. Yeah. There's a lot happening that is really bad. It's an, it's an emaciation. Um, and I watch a lot, I, I take all these workshops and, um, I, a lot of them have human dissection in them. So I've watched a lot of human dissection, uh, over the past couple of years and, uh, they're all anatomy workshops and they often are, well, they all are cadavers that are donated. Right. And so often they're elderly because, you know, that's when people die, hopefully. Um, and looking at these and they're untreated cadavers. That's what's so interesting with these workshops. Um, so the tissue is very soft and it, it, it looks as much like life as possible, except that you're dead. Um, and these elderly bodies, uh, are very thin, most of them. Um, and also when you, when you're dead, you're, you kind of shrink extra, but I, it is now just like emblazoned in my brain what your, what, what this sort of skinned elderly ladies, little organs so close to the surface Mm. in this little frame. And Mm. I thought that was not a comfortable body. That was not a comfortable body. I do not want to be elderly in that body. I like watching these videos and seeing your kidneys literally are packed in little butter packs. We literally have extra fat around our kidneys to keep Uh them warm and to protect them. They're, they're one of our only really primarily, I mean, if your kidneys fail, you're dead in hours, your heart can be barely functioning and you can live for years. I mean, plenty of people have horribly, terribly low functioning hearts, digestive systems, livers, all kinds of things, brains, and still are, are alive. If your kidneys fail, that's why we have two. It's, it's part of this magical design we have. We have two kidneys because if your kidneys go, that's the end of you right away. And so, and then interestingly, they're not in our ribs, which protects all of our major vital organs. They're outside of our ribs. They're more vulnerable. So we have them, they have fat padding around them that are specific Mm -hmm. and literally in a dissection, it looks like there's a little kidney in a butter pack, like you packed butter all around it and it keeps it safe. It keeps it warm and it protects it from impact, which is a huge thing that our fat does on our bodies. Uh-huh. And looking at this shriveled old, old lady, and there was an old man and that little butter pack was so thin. And I thought, oh, I those cold little exposed kidneys that are literally the vitality of our body. They, they take all the toxins out of your body. That's right. really where your toxins are. It's in your urine, not sorry, Gwyneth, it's not in your poop. And, uh, like just thinking about what that body felt like that just is one of the things that makes me so sad about our obsession with shrinking ourselves, shrinking ourselves. It is that loss of vitality. It is close to death. It is inviting a death like body to yes. walk around in. And that's what I see when I see people who are so small, who are really just losing quote unquote weight, who are losing weight, they're losing muscle, they're losing bone density. It's, it's like, it is a kind of death mask that you're like trying to yeah. walk around in. And, but the, and then there are these, there are the, that's, yeah, that seems exactly right. And there are these um, ways that the language and culture continues in spite of sort of everyone's best efforts to put a superficial gloss on, well, we want, uh, you know, 
some level of body acceptance or, you know, acceptance for all the way up to a size 12 or whatever happens at Victoria's Secret, um, that we still get a phrase in the New Yorker out of quotes saying that these drugs have are represent drugs like Ozempic represent a treatment for diabetes and obesity. Right. Now, not only is obesity considered just like a ridiculously amb- ambiguous term that is yeah. not, you know, that is predicated on the body mass index, which is it, itself super flawed. ridiculous, but it's, it's increasingly being considered a slur because, you know, calling someone morbidly obese as if it's a medical condition, especially with that word morbid is like, is meant to bring down just, you know, the wrath of God on the person. And, um, and because it, it sounds vaguely medical, but isn't at all, it just can be used in this like intense stigmatizing way. But even if they've decided to use that word and not, not, um, recognize that many people in sort of mainstream thinking about body size, consider it, uh, derogatory to say that it's, Diabetes is a, such a such a, a a life compromising disease. We really like diabetics like really need better and cheaper treatment all the time and we like the society needs to mobilize to care for people with both kinds of diabetes with uh, and juvenile diabetes is so difficult late yeah. onset diabetes 2 is terrible diabetes 1 they're like but you can live a wonderful full, full life with diabetes. It just, it, we need to have re- a healthy respect for that disease and especially for the re- reducing of, of insulin treatments and other kinds of treatments for it. Obesity is a description of some bodies, a description of some bodies, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you cannot say a treatment for diabetes and obesity. There might be a lifestyle decision of binging or restricting when you eat that could be treated, could be treated with, with therapy that could be treated with other kinds of health practices, including making more friends or learning to play the piano or going on long walks. Um, and then there also is, you know, just a complete cultural derangement where we think about our bodies in this and other people's bodies with this high level of contempt. And that weight stigma, in addition to the restricting binging, restricting binging cycles, are really bad for your health, right? Not the size, the given size of your body, but the fact that one thing we can say with confidence about everyone of pretty much any size is that they accept and, and, you know, on the upper end of the scale sizes, especially is that like, we've been dieting our whole fucking lives. Like nobody needs to be told, you know what you should do is eat less. Um, All of us, as we know from the fact that Ozempic, which causes skull cracking, uh, vomiting and nausea and gastrointestinal distress and is very expensive. The fact that people will risk all those things in order to shrink their bodies suggests that we have no level of, of tolerance, let alone love of bigger bodies. Right. Right. Like there's this crazy thing where there's this fear. You've probably seen it. This fear that like fat is now acceptable because, you know, 12 like brilliant fat people have tried to say, Hey, maybe don't kill us. Maybe (laughs) treat us for heart disease instead of treating us for our identities. 
Um, and, um, and, and so now suddenly, oh, everyone, you know, fat acceptance is everywhere. And now just people think it's okay to be 700 pounds. Nobody thinks it's okay. Right. Don't worry. We all still hate ourselves. Don't worry for one second that because we listen to Lizzo that we might stop loathing our bodies because that we're all there. You got us. Right. And so much do we love our bodies that we're about to start taking or p- lots of people are taking this injection they have to take for the rest of their lives for $1,000 a month with the vomiting and the gastrointestinal distress and nausea. That does not suggest a culture that thinks it's okay to be anything but a Gwyneth Paltrow size two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of uh, upside here, which is um, many of us are coming to realize that, uh, that uh, you know, investing in new ways to destroy ourselves and thinking of the self-destruction as some kind of like self-care, right? right? Like is, um, is just like defies understanding. Like it just, it's, it's absurd that it's gotten here and that, you know, accept your body, come to love your body, try not to, uh, you know, try not to restrict and binge, um, slut, you know, get away from the weight stigma and things start like chilling out, you know, you start like walking or exercising or running and you start going to see you cadence and you start um, just like eating normally. I mean, yeah, we we have this Richard and I have this friend visiting um, and uh, he said, do you two just eat whatever you want? And Richard said, yeah, I don't know. Like when we first got together, we were like, should we just eat whatever we want? And we've kind of been doing that for five years. And he said, God, because I just didn't even realize how much my wife and I, he's here without her, just are constantly thinking, we had dessert three days ago. We can't have it today. We, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. once you drop those kind of calculations, it is amazing how well things start to like kind of shake themselves out. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, you're talking about becoming in touch with yourself versus always this outside perspective and this kind of disembodiment of sort of, like you said, with Khloe Kardashian, seeing your, instead of being one, one embodied person that is living in this body, that's living and breathing and experiencing the world and responding to the world. We're so used to separating from our bodies, being told to separate from our bodies, looking to the outside, looking to outside messages to tell us how we feel, how we should eat, what our hunger level is. It's what I'm always trying to teach people too, is just to really feel how hungry are you right now? Then eat for that level of hunger. You know, yeah. why, why, why are you starving at seven o'clock at night? Let's figure yeah. out how to eat earlier in the day so that you, you're not ravenous at that time. Cause that's yeah. uncomfortable. Not yeah. because you, well, I don't want you eating, but because that's just uncomfortable no one likes that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and to live without all these rules, which are like who made up all these rules anyway, clearly, I mean, it's always old white men. So <laughs> until we live in a world where that's not the case, yeah, all I mean, rules should a, really be questioned very strongly. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, maybe I'll leave you with this, but the, the, uh, the New Yorker article ends with a, a, a TikTok surgeon. Don't know what that means. Oh I don't know. That's where if he's MD is from TikTok, but that's what he is, a TikTok surgeon. Um, he'll perform remote surgery on you via TikTok. Um, anyway, recently quoted as saying, what's so great about Ozempic is, he says, they meaning probably women, they're no longer going to have to accept that they should just be happy with the body they have. 
And all I could think was, oh my God, this is so awesome. We don't have to be happy with the way we are. We can continue to be filled with self-loathing and self-savagery and self-disgust. This is so radical. (laughs) And then, oh, wait, that's how we always are. The point is you do not need Ozempic to like let go of, uh, let go of this, um, kind of self-disgust. And yeah, that's what training with you is, was, I mean, just to give a little plug as your, as your former client, like was all about it just, um, I appreciate it. I mean, I, 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 I had a whole like radical, uh, acceptance speech that I made after Roe v. Wade stuff when I just like, you know, I often teach from a place where I, we can't separate politics from our bodies. So I, I don't teach class, uh, like a five, six, seven, eight, feel the burn class anyway, but I, (laughs) (laughs) but I can't, I have to address things that are happening to us culturally in my teaching because they affect our bodies. And I'm trying to help you engage with and become connected to your body. And your body is being affected by things that happen in our news cycles and decisions that our government makes. And, um, and after that, I, I kind of spoke about like, you have to just stop hating yourself. Like there's, there's, it's Thich Nhat Hanh, the meditation teacher's phrase. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way there's no journey mm. to peace. You just decide to be peaceful. Yeah. And yeah. that's how you can, cause he was a Vietnamese um, monk and involved with a lot of protest and peacemaking. Mm-hmm. And that's how you can enter war zones and be peaceful. You just yeah. decide to be peaceful. And there's a, there is a moment, I think as, as women, as people where you have to just make a radical decision to just eat what you want people are so afraid to do that because they think they're going to go out of control because we're so used to control. Mm -hmm. But actually when you just decide to listen to your body, you don't spend all day eating chocolate. You, you just eat like a normal mammal. You eat like a normal human. Yeah. And sometimes have chocolate and you sometimes have fruits and you just, you get to know yourself. And I think we have so many things that get in the way of us getting to know ourselves, but it's about radical trust of yourself that you can do this. You can just you can eat what you want and it will be okay. And you yeah. won't be 700 pounds. You also won't be size two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you'll be, you'll be yourself. You'll be a happier person. I love that. I have to add one more thing, which is please. Um, uh, years ago, I was writing about the, the concept of self-optimization, which turned out to oh. have its origins in Stalin's Soviet Union. Let's have another episode on that, please. Okay. But one really um, amazing thing is that Stalin had a principle for what he wanted out of humans, like of, out of Soviet workers. Um, and he it was abbreviated as um, min food, max work. So how little can we feed you and how much will you work? Amazing. Right. And I was suddenly like, oh, my God, that is dieting. We are all in our own personal gulag. <laughs> We just are like, little can I eat? And how much can I exercise? When the Paltrow, do not be from Stalin. Yes. Be from Thich Nhat Hanh. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Let's end that. That's a beautiful place to end right there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on Virginia. This was delightful. Thank you, Cadence. I love talking to you.